It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. For He was before me. And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. Notice those words. Grace for grace. It's kind of unique and compelled me to study a little bit further on that. Grace for grace. What's grace for grace mean? For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man have seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He have declared Him. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask Him, Who art thou? And He confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked Him, What then art thou, Elias? Speaking of Elisha. And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, is said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ? Nor Elias, neither that prophet. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes lasheth, I am not worthy to, be, to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John see of Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me come of a man, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water, and John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bare record that this is the Son of God. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word that we have an accessible and codex form, in a book form, that um, we could take the word of God with us, that we don't have to simply come to church to hear it once a week, but that we're able to feast on it every day throughout the week. Thank you for the word of God being in abundance today. And we just pray, O Lord, for the preaching of your word, that your will would be accomplished and you would work in people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
verse 14, we're not going to dwell on this part, as we've already pretty much covered it a couple of times in the other messages. But it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That the word was God in John 1, 1 says, the word was with God and the word was God. And here saying, and the word was made flesh. And that he dwelt among us. That here was deity now in humanity. And you look at that. God took on human flesh. The infinite became finite. He had the boundaries in the sense of being human. Yet still 100% God. That eternity entered time. He was just eternal. Beginning and the end. We're with him in a sense there's no time. And yet he entered in time. He created time. The invisible became visible. That now they could see God only because it was in the confines of the flesh. Because to see God completely in spirit, the Bible says no man could seek God and live. But with the veil of flesh allowed mankind to see him. That the creator entered his own creation. You know, my children will at times, they'll play with Play-Doh or play with toys. But they never become really tiny and become part of that world that they create or that they made. No, it's different. You know, we could make stuff with what God created. Only God can create. Throughout the, the Gospel of John, John presents Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament expectations. You know, like Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 46, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? So Jesus pointed to Moses, the lawgiver, that even him was presenting, wrote of Jesus. We see God called a man named John, called him John the Baptist. And we see his ministry was focused on restoring um, fathers and the children's hearts to one another and, that John, and, and of preparing, making straightway the way of the Lord to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. To be the one that would be a witness to declare, to show that Jesus would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist got a lot of fame. He had many disciples following after him. But John the Baptist needed none of the glory. It's the one that is preached in later on in John 3 that he must increase, but I must decrease. That he saw Jesus is the high, the lofty one. That he was the king of kings, the Lord of lords. That John the Baptist, when he compared himself and, and to Jesus, that he said he was not even worthy 
to get down in his speed, to unbuckle his sandals, the lashes of his sandals. That was a position, a role that the lowest of slaves would do. Not just any slave, but the lowest of slaves would take off the sandals of their master and often wash their feet. And John the Baptist, not with a false humility, but a genuine humility, that I am not even worthy to be a slow slave to unbuckle the lashes for his sandals. He understood whose presence that he was going to be in the midst. And the people questioned him, asked him, are, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not. Funny part is Jesus said he was. And Jesus and said he came in the spirit um, and power of Elijah. Jesus told, told his disciples when the disciples asked him, you know, tell us when the end came. Tell us when uh, when Elijah's coming back. And Jesus said, if he will receive it, if he have ears to hear, this is Elijah. Speaking of John the Baptist. Whether John the Baptist didn't know or just was trying not to give credit, I don't know. But he confessed, I am not Elijah. He wasn't looking for attention. Are, are you that prophet? Perhaps they're thinking of Jeremiah or some other prophet. And he's like, no, I am not that prophet. But I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, to be the forerunner, to be the one that directs and points people to Jesus Christ. What a noble calling he had. Imagine being out there baptizing. And you knew Jesus was going to be there soon. You didn't know necessarily when. But then finally. Be sure if you were John the Baptist. And the Son of God. Walked in your presence. John the Baptist's response was. Uh, he goes. You baptize me. I'm not worthy to baptize you. Jesus, of course, says, no, suffer it now to fulfill all righteousness. And so John the Baptist follows Jesus' instructions to baptize him. But then we see that when he baptizes Jesus, all of a sudden, to see the heavens open up. I think this is a lot more than just seeing a bunch of clouds part way. You know, in Ezekiel, it talks about how when he saw the heavens open and saw visions of God. And here, John the Baptist and the men and the woman present, they see the heavens open. Imagine what that would be like. I can't fathom what it would look like. Was it still like a dimension, a curtain open, and you saw another dimension, a spirit world, you saw heaven? Oh, what an amazing sight it would have been to see. To be in John the Baptist's shoes. And yet he wanted none of the glory. He wanted none of the attention. But he preached Jesus Christ to him. And then when the heavens opened, 
The Spirit of God descends upon Jesus is the dove. And then a voice from heaven, from the Father, speaks and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. What an amazing thing it would have been to be John the Baptist to see that. And then we see at the end of his life, loses his life. For preaching against the sins of the king. Preaching against adultery. And his head is taken from him. See, John the Baptist was faithful to serve his God when he had all the glory from man. And he was faithful to serve God when he had no glory from man. He sought to be faithful to his Lord. Verse 15, it says, John bear witness of him and cried, saying, This it was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And in verse 14, he says, He was full of grace and truth. In verse 16, And of his fullness have we all, all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law was given by Moses, which was given um, by God. The law being given by Moses was not a display of God's grace. But a demand for holiness before God. The law was designed, go ahead and turn to Galatians 3. Law was designed as a means to demonstrate the sinfulness of man in order to show us of our need of a Savior. The law, in other words, was preparatory in nature. Galatians 3.21 says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Chapter 3, okay, you probably were verse 21. says, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. You know, you kind of see a picture of this with Boaz and Ruth, and how Boaz pointed out that the law that she was to marry the next kinsman, that it was to be someone else. But the other man wouldn't do it. The other man did not want to marry her. That's what the law said. But the law would not suffice. And so in that picture, we see through faith and by faith, by the grace of God, that she was then able to marry Boaz, whom Jesus Christ would come from. Because the shoe didn't fit, they would throw the shoe off because he would not, the other guy wouldn't marry her. And it's the same way. The law, if the law could save any man, if the law could save, 
sin, we would be saved by that law. If there was the law, we obey this, and we obey it perfectly, that's how we would be saved. But as we read on, it says, But the scripture have concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us a new Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all, un, all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And so here, it says, you know what? The law has concluded, the scripture has shown that no one can be saved by keeping the law of God because we all fall short. We all have sinned. None of us could say, oh, I've made my way to heaven because I have had no sin. Except it be through faith in Jesus Christ and then we have his imputed righteousness. But the law is what condemns. Or was the sin that condemned the transgression of the law? Thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus said, if you look at a man and lust after in your heart, you've committed adultery in your own heart. Jesus said, with murder, a man hate his brother without cause. That he's just a murderer in his heart. And no Christ, all guilty, those two this alone. So I have no idea. You look at the world and idolatry is filled in around the religions of the world. America, our idols are usually stuff, wealth, money. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not be in discontent. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. All the laws of God, which there's what, 610 or 613 of them? And the law showed that we fall short. So the law cannot save. The law just shows that we are condemned. That we are sinners. Now I got to visit my dad, as you know, in, our, in Montana when we went on our trip. My mom then came a week after we got back. Dad and mom been divorced since I was two years old. This was the first time my mom saw the grandkids in person. You know, I talked to my mom, asked her if it would be okay to share a story of her life. So I'm going to mention some things. Just don't worry. You know, I got her permission to uh, mention it. And she said that I would love to be an illustration of God's grace. You know, my dad was 18 and he pursued after my mom when she was 12 years old. Pretty sick. And her mom told him it was okay. No parental guidance. My dad never met his dad. His mom 
was a biker at the time, now she's Jehovah's Witness, but she was a biker at the time, had many one-night stands. And that's how he, he was conceived. They, and she ended up getting remarried. His stepdad would often say things like, never once told him I love you. Tell him when he was 12 years old, I can't wait till you're 18 so he'd kick you out of this house. When he was about to join the military, he said, oh, they're not going to want to take you. You're not good for nothing. So he never had a relationship with his dad. My mom didn't, barely knew her dad. Raised by her mom, but she said she really wasn't raised. She was in the house, couldn't talk to her mom about anything. Their mom would get a boyfriend, her boyfriend would molest one of her sisters, and she'd stay with them. They didn't have the, neither one of them had the parental guidance. Gave birth, my mom gave birth to me at 16. Throughout my dad's life, her life, my, my dad's on his fifth wife. Problems of alcohol, pornography, experimented with drugs a little bit. My mother, on the other hand, experimented with drugs heavily in her life. Both sides, there's been adultery, divorce. One day when I was two years old, I was at my mom's mom's, my grandma. Mom was working on getting ready to move and everything, move, move back from her dad she was at briefly and come back with her mom. And she was gone for a couple, two or three weeks. And my dad, or my grandma called my dad and said, you know, I haven't seen Tina. Um, have you heard from her? And he said, no, I haven't. And he goes, you know, you mind if I fly down, come see my son for a little bit? And he said, sure. He comes down, shows up, says, hey, I'll just take him to the park and bring him back, bring him back. And then he never brought me back. And so then my mom showed up. So I, where's my son? Freaking out, panicking. Where's my son? My dad said it was... She, at times, she, she experimented with some drugs, so he thought it'd be better to take me away from the situation. Now, at that time, she was just trying to lose weight, and neighbor got her on it. She married a man. Well, before she married the man, she showed up at our doorstep with my dad and then where my stepmom was. My dad was at home and tells my stepmom, I'm here, I want my son back. He's 18 years old. Give me my son. And of course, him, my stepmom, she's freaking out. She locks the doors, calls my dad, and says, no, 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 don't let, don't let him go. She, my mom comes back. Uh, like she went, she went away for a few minutes, came back with a knife. Saying, give me my son back. Doors kept the doors locked, and, and then another guy was there um, and tell her, telling her to go away. The cops came, and um, she got rid of the knife, and she said, she goes, oh, what knife? Why would I bring a knife? I'm just coming to get my son back. 
But then my mom, man, I asked her, I was like, what were you thinking? She's like, I don't know. All I wanted was to get you back. She goes, looking back, yes, I was insane trying to do that. She goes, I wasn't going to do anything with the knife. I just tried to scare her. But she married a man a few months later that promised to help her get me back. Now, he was a correction officer, pretty big guy. And so my mom wasn't even in love with him. She just married him because he said, help get me back. And then she went to court trying to get custody of me and everything. Got a letter in the mail for the, um, the, for the final court date. Courts were leaning towards um, giving me to her. But she did not show up to the court date. And so my dad said when we visited, go, she didn't show up. I don't know why she showed up. She told me when she was just here um, that she believes it was Mark, um, who was her next husband, that he hid, or he told her it was on a different date. He, he ended up telling her. He goes, oh, after they got married, oh, he's in good hands. You know, we don't need to worry about getting him. And he told her the wrong date so that she would lose the court case. And of course she was devastated and she was about to leave him and then she got pregnant. Um, again, there's a lot of domestic violence. I remember one time visiting her over the summer. He was hitting her and he jumped on his back, threw me across the room. Drugs, divorce, my mom had boyfriend after boyfriend, fornication, bad influences. One time she was with someone and saw another man do something terrible to another woman. I won't even um, mention it, but he ended up getting arrested and she got arrested with him. Had another boyfriend who I believe was in a, a, a gang member and he had a chop shop had stolen motorcycle parts in his garage, had his doctor's, or that's where he told my mom, oh, it's just my doctor's motorcycle. He asked me to fix it up. But it was stolen material, and he knew it. And this was another time I was visiting my mom, and I was sleeping on the couch. Boom. Slip door in town and hard. It was loud. I remember I even saw the door bugging open while I was on the couch. He, I didn't know his time, but he leaned over, told her, I, I'm sorry. He came and came near the door and the SWAT team. Bad full body armor. So there's some tough dude that they were coming after. Send the SWAT team, full body armor, threw him to the ground. Made the house shake, pointed the guns at me. Once they saw I was a child, they moved the gun away. But that was a frightening time. Like, what in the world is going on? I was like, I don't know, 12, 12 years old at the time. For a time, my mom performed at men's clubs to make money. Said it was so vile. So wicked, all the men, they tried to pursue her. She got out of that. 
over my mom's lifetime was arrested multiple times for drugs, being with guys at the wrong moment when they were arrested. She mentioned she spent 12 years collectively in jail or prison. That's a long time to spend your life locked up. 12 years. You know what she was getting? She was getting the law. She committed a crime. The law came after her. She suffered the consequences for her crimes, for her sins before God. Didn't really hear much from my mom after a lot of that. She, sa she says now that so often she felt too embarrassed to talk to me. She felt such guilt, such shame. That she wished she had the parental guidance early on. And thought maybe things would be different. You know, fathers, mothers, make sure you're involved in your children's lives. If you're a grandpa, grandma, and your parents, your children aren't really involved in their lives, you do all you can to be involved in their lives. But she says she had so much guilt over her life. And of course, my dad would say, see, look what would have happened if you went there. You know, you'd see your mom getting locked up all the time and stuff. She had a rough life. You know, in my dad's life growing up, you know, there was a lot of problems, trouble there. More stable than it would have been than if I was with her, though. But in this Bible passage, we see by Moses came the law. And the law showed that we were guilty before God. The law of mankind shows that we are guilty against a civil law or guilty against um, different crimes that we commit. Back in John. John chapter 1 again. It says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And in verse 14, again, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. What does grace for grace mean? Martin Luther, after reading the word of God and his eyes partly being open to the corruption um, of the false gospel that was in the Roman Catholic Church, he said this about grace for grace. The sun is not dim and darkened by shining on so many people or by providing the entire world with its light and splendor. It retains its light intact. It loses nothing. It is immeasurable, perhaps able to illumine ten more worlds. I suppose that a hundred thousand candles can be ignited from one light, and still this light will not lose any of its brilliance. Thus Christ our Lord, to whom we must flee, and of whom we must ask all, is an interminable wealth, the chief source of all grace. Even if the whole world were to draw from this fountain enough grace and truth to transform all people into angels, still it would not lose as much as a drop. This fountain constantly overflows with shared grace. For those without grace 
This grace is readily available. As Paul said, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There is more than enough grace to cover your sins and give you an overflowing, victorious life. About four years ago, some of you know the story, my dad got saved. You know, he came up here, he visited here, shared the gospel with him. He didn't believe in it. He's like, yeah, there might be a God, but Jesus, I don't, I don't believe he rose from the dead. I don't believe in a virgin birth. I don't he goes, I think when we die, we're dead. Six months later, you know, he had already quit drinking alcohol um, for a while. And then his wife, who's his wife now, you know, I got him going to church. And, and then after hearing some of the messages... He got saved. He asked me to go baptize him. And I just talked to him six months prior. I was like, no, I'm not going to baptize someone that doesn't believe in the resurrection. Someone that, I go, he's just, he's just playing this woman. He's just trying to be Christian for her. Uh, and, and then later he told me, um, well, you know what? I wanted you to baptize me, but I guess I'll have them baptize me. And, and, um, and a few months passed and I talked to him and and then just asking him, ask him more questions. It's like, so you say you're saved, what are you saved from? He goes, from my sin. It's like, well, what is sin? He said, and I go, well, what's, what, what's wrong with, with sin? And I'm like, what's he going to do? He goes, well, he goes, he saved me from eternal doom. And he goes, I believe in Jesus. I trusted in his death, his burial, his resurrection. And I go, really? You just told me that a few months back. You didn't believe that. He's like, I do now. I was like, all right, I'll come down and baptize you. He goes, well, I'm already getting baptized this Sunday. It's too late. <laughs> My dad's still been off alcohol. They were going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They moved. They don't have church Sunday night now, but they're just going to church Sunday morning and going to the midweek Bible studies. Um, they, do, do, they do those in homes um, where he's at. And man, his life's been changed. My mother just got out of jail about three years ago. And before she got out of jail, she called me and told me, hey, you know what? My life's going to be different. I got saved. And I was really blunt with her here. I go, Mom, you say this every time you get out of jail. I was being pretty heartless. Yeah, I got tired of hearing it. She used to get out of jail, been in jail like 10, 12 times, so many times. I go, you always get this prison salvation. And she's like, no, son, this is real this time. Because I've met Jesus. I've received Jesus into my life. Put my faith in him. And then she been clean for the last four years well, one year while in prison in the last three years she had a relapse about four months ago um, the drugs for a couple of days she was around her brother the influences gotta get him out of those influences and she said the drugs did to her stuff that never did before before I give her a high or she do something to help her lose weight. This time she went crazy. Her boyfriend went and got my sister and said, your mom's going crazy. I don't know what to do. And she was going to be the mean. Yeah. So 
she told me she, she was acting crazy. The pool, and so they didn't want to do it, but like, we have to get the police involved. And they're like, she's going to get locked up again. But they called the police. The police ended up taking her to a mental um, ward. And there had to wait till she became, it, everything went through her system. But as she claimed to see all these visions and all this stuff and screaming, yelling at everybody, seeing things that weren't happening. And then as she sobered up, she saw she was in the midst of a lot of crazies. And that scared her. And they're like, Mom, you were, she, my sister, you were acting just like them. But with them, they, most of them weren't stopping. They were still like that. And then she says, she confessed her sin back again to God and said, God, please give me another chance. And uh, I, I want to be involved in my grandkids' lives, my son's life. And I don't want to go through this again. And she ended up moving out of Fresno, get away from the filth and been clean. Um, since then, quit smoking even a few months ago. On our way to take her to the airport, I shared with her this passage. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 7. This is grace for grace. You know, you look at Jesus. He is grace. And he gives us grace. Luke chapter 7. I asked her a lot of questions when she was here. And I wasn't really even on like a search. Okay, I want to know more about this. It's just, oh, now she's here. Now we're talking. I was just curious. But I asked her questions, and she mentioned her past. She mentioned some of the bad things my dad did, and she would always keep saying, you know, I don't want you to think bad of your dad. He's changed now, too. And I was like, just tell me what's happening. You know what? I'm not holding anything over anybody. But um, Luke 7 and verse 36. He shared this um, passage with her um, to really meditate on it. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was the sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. It's expensive stuff. That is like the finest type of ointment perfume there was. And he stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touched of him. For she is a sinner. Now what were the Pharisees good at? Laying down the law. This woman is guilty. And if this Jesus was really the son of God, if he really was a prophet, he would know this. Well, here he reveals that he is a prophet. So Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing new pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which, one, which of them will love him most? Maybe someone owed 500 pence, someone owed 50. Okay, maybe picture asked, 
say someone, say someone, you owed a credit card, you owed a creditor five hundred dollars, and someone else owed five hundred thousand dollars, and then the creditor just went, says, okay, you know, you don't have any more money, you're in rough times, and just forgave you and said you don't owe anything else. Jesus' question is. Who's going to love that creditor the most? You know, the one that's forgiven $500? Sure, they'll be thankful, but that's going to be forgotten. You know, they probably could have paid that off pretty soon. But the one that owes 500000 or 500 pence, the Bible talks about? That's a lot of debt to be forgiven. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Jesus is knowing his heart, showing that he is the prophet. And he says, you've judged right. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, which was customary to do when you're going to a guest home, that um, they would give you something to have your feet washed. But she have washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, which again was customary either on the beard, the cheek, or the forehead. To give a kiss is a salutation, a greeting. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in have not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but the woman have anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same love of little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith have saved thee. Go in peace. Grace for grace. The Pharisee, a man that was self-righteous in his own eyes. He had Jesus over for a meal, but did not do any of the customary greetings or caring for his guests. And here this woman, he knew she was a sinner. He knew it. And yet he let her wipe his feet, wash his feet with this ointment, or have this ointment on his head as well. In the creditor, the one that owes 500 or the one that owes 50. Pharisee self-righteous in his eyes. This woman, she knows she's a sinner. And she loved much. And Jesus said, thy sins are forgiven thee. And so that's why I told my mom. Now you know what? You have a lot of shame, guilt for your past. And yes, I, you answer some questions, so maybe that makes you relive a little bit. And she's like, oh, no, I don't mind answering the questions and stuff. And I told her, I go, but you got to let that go. Yes, there's a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas. But that's grace for grace. It's grace that comes upon grace. Think of the ocean surf. One wave coming after another wave in endless succession. Grace for grace. One wave of grace being constantly replaced by a fresh one. 
There is no limit to the grace of God. The grace of God that has saved my mother, my father from the wretchedness of their sin and the brokenness that they had in their home and is able to reconcile them to God. It's the same grace that could reconcile everyone that calls upon Jesus is their Savior to believe on Him. God's grace, you could say, is like the clouds in Noah's day that's pouring down rain and it just won't stop. The rain comes, the rain comes, and more rain comes. And God's grace, it comes, it comes, and it comes. And it, as the Bible says, where sin abounded, so much more did grace abound. You look at Joseph in the days of Egypt before the famine, how they had endless um, crops, endless of the grain. They had an abundance of it. And they used it to prepare for the famine that would come. You look at when Moses struck the rock in the wilderness. And it poured out water. The command of God. The water came. And the water came. The water came. To satisfy the thirst. Of the people that were with Moses. And then you look at this. The second time God told Moses, speak to the rock. You know what the Bible says? Jesus was that rock. You know, Jesus only died for us once. And so Moses kind of destroyed that picture when he struck the rock the second time. Jesus isn't dying again. He was to sacrifice once and for all. And now we're able to speak to the Father. Jesus' name. But he didn't speak to the rock. In his anger, he struck the rock. But guess what? Water still came. That's God's grace. Moses disobeyed out of his frustration, out of his anger. And yet God's grace was there to cover that sin. Yes, there were consequences Moses faced and not being able to go to the promised land. But God's grace was still there and satisfied their thirst. And Jesus is the water of life. You look at Elijah when he was there with the widow woman and her son who were about to die of starvation. And there was just a little oil in the cruise. And Elijah says, you know what, feed me first. And she did. And then there was just no ending. God kept supplying the need. Psalm 23, it's the cup that kept overflowing. They say, my cup runneth over. God's grace runs over. There's maybe some sin or some guilt that's holding you back. Let it go. Plead for the grace of God. It's abundant. It's merciful. God's grace is there for us because of his love. We even see God's grace in our weaknesses. We see that the thorn that Paul had in his flesh, whatever it may be, many things was maybe uh, maybe different things with his eyes, different things. Maybe it was just a thorn. Maybe it was a thorn in the flesh. But the Bible does say it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him, and he he asked for this to be removed. 
But then Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Got weaknesses? Don't dwell on it being your weakness. Dwell on it how God will use it. Man, I hated to do public speeches in school, even as a young adult. When I surrendered to preach, I didn't know what I was doing. Why am I surrendering to preach? I can't talk in public. I can't even go up and talk to someone privately. But God will use our weaknesses. I have a speech impediment. But yet God will use our weakness if we'll let him. Still praying he'll use my singing. <laughs> it says this grace is sufficient. God provides other people, and I guess that's the way to cure that weakness. But why do we try so hard to hide our weaknesses? Is it because of our pride? Would you rather hold on to your pride than you have the grace of God? God resists the proud. Give of grace. To the humble. And you know what? We also almost done. I actually had less notes. I have two pages of notes. I usually have eight. <laughs> okay? We look at our weaknesses. Okay? We see them. Sometimes we dwell on them. Sometimes we may have the attitude, woe is me. Why am I not good at this? And they're good at it. Or why can't I do this? And they do it. But you know what? Sometimes we'll look down on the weaknesses of others. It's easy to see the flaws in other people. Sometimes it could be like their personality, and it just seems like, wow, that's, that's a weakness. We have our own weaknesses. And so just as we plead for God's grace for our weaknesses, or we should, give thought to Maybe we should show grace to other people's weaknesses. You know what the weaknesses that your spouse has? Show some grace. You know what? Every once in a while, you know what? Pastors will just kind of talk about maybe different hardships are going on in their church or different people. And sometimes it's to get counsel um, or how to deal with a situation or whatever it may be. But every once in a while, some, of, some pastors could get lofty, get haughty, and be like, oh, I just can't stand these people, and just be negative about them. Well, show them grace. I hope you guys show me grace as a pastor for my weaknesses. I fall short in many ways. And I do appreciate the grace, God, the grace of the people, that here is a church, we're here as a body to grow together. Grow together. Grow in grace. Romans 14.4 says, Who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or follow. Yea, he shall be holding up. For God is able to make him stand. You know, I basically gave up on my mom. Saw it too much over and over. Prayed for it here and there. But I eventually, you know, it kind of didn't even come to mind anymore. She was out of my life. Didn't think much. But you know what? God didn't give up. God's grace is for grace. His grace piles on, piles on. 
when we see weaknesses in one another, show them grace. Show them mercy. God's grace. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 68, 19, and we'll close here. Psalm 68, 19. For Psalm 103, 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Oh, the benefits we have in Jesus. Forget them not. Maybe read Psalm 103 later today and all many of the benefits that God gives. Psalm 68, 19. This blessed be the Lord who daily load of us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. Blessed be the Lord who daily load of us with benefits. You know what? God looks down on his children, even on the unjust. Rain some the rain some the unjust. But God loads his children with benefits. Yes, he 
the agenda, the wickedness, the sin we oppose. But in there is a person that maybe is my mom and dad. Did not have parents. Was there to have their dad? My dad, not finding out who his dad was, where he was, until 30 days after he already Love you, Lord, in Jesus.